It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Hey everybody, if anybody's watching, I just got back from the Masai Ujiri presser. And on top of that, the news that Nick Nurse was fired. Um, that's obviously a big deal in the Raptors sphere. Same with a lot of what Masai Ujiri said. He talked for about 45 to 55 minutes about why Nick was fired, the future of the team, Scotty Barnes, and kind of the NBA at large. And I guess the the first thing I would bring up is that, um, hey, Cujo, uh, what's up, dude? Nice to see you in here. The first thing I would bring up is that Nick Nurse kept on hammering home on the parody in the NBA. Or sorry, not Nick Nurse. Masai Ujiri kept on hammering home about the parody in the NBA. And he was consistently bringing that up as a means to justify, I think, the Jakob Pertl trade and perhaps the, I guess, where the team is going into the future. And I think he brought that up for a few reasons mostly because the Raptors are going to be in a position where they keep many aspects of this team going forward. And they have to be able to justify that as a team that can win, as a team that can do something. And if you are trying to justify having perhaps a luxury tax team, who knows what happens in the summer, but perhaps a luxury tax team that just lost the 9-10 play-in, you're going, it's, that's a tough ask. That's, that's not exactly easy to do. And on top of that, you have to be able to tell people like, this team is going to be good. This team has an upside. What are you cheering for really? Because I'm sure he's observed the fan base. I'm sure he's observed ticket sales, the, the energy in the arena. You can see that there's a decided split between the fan base regarding what this team should be doing going forward. And when it comes to what they should be doing going forward, I think a lot of people are on the side of sell for parts, build around Scotty, see how that goes. And I do think that the organization are not super interested in doing that because they want to sell trade from a point of strength. They want to be able to consistently trade from a point of strength. That's something they've always preached. It's something that, whether it was in the media, at the pressers, the recorded stuff, or just talking to journalists and reporters as an aside, Masai Jiri has stressed that you want to trade from a point of strength. And that a lot of what was going around around the trade deadline was a lot of hype that they weren't getting the trades they wanted exactly, but also that they felt that some of the trades they didn't take then would be available during the summer. What does that mean? That means, well, if you actually, if you believe what he says, that means that a lot of the teams that would be trading for these guys won't have the cap space to sign them. From GP Productions, we have a question. Do you agree with letting Fred walk this season or do you want to sign Fred to a long-term deal to keep or trade? So I think this is obviously very important. I know some people are just fully out on Fred. I'm not fully out on Fred. I still think Fred is a good player in the NBA. I know some people will disagree with me on that. I think that Fred's role is too large for a team that wants to be really good. I think that's true. I think that the Raptors have to be intelligent and have to be honest in how they negotiate his contract. He's obviously going to try and get as much as he can. That's his prerogative. That's his right. That's what he should be doing, he and his team. And I think that the Raptors, it would behoove them. It would be smartest for them to re-sign Fred at a number that makes sense. Because as much as Raptors fans are familiar with Fred's flaws, and as much as Raptors fans understand that the team 
perhaps would be better suited a couple years down the line, not being a Fred Van Vliet run offense, which it was probably for the last two months of the season. It wasn't so bad, but that's what it was. I think that Fred Van Vliet, you have to re-sign him because he's still looked upon very favorably around the NBA. And especially since he had that really strong bounce back since Jakob Pertl came over, I think that his value will be going up. And I think that he'll have, he was healthy to finish the season. He'll have an off season of rest. And I think depending on where the Raptors are next year by the trade trade deadline, if they're in a good spot, if guys make leaps, if guys play together, if they have a newer identity that works and resonates with the players, then I think that we're looking at a team that will be a playoff team. If, if that all falls apart, there's every chance that Fred will have played well enough that he'll have a longer contract. He'll be a point guard who has championship pedigree, has been an all-star, and despite being worse at defense significantly this season for the Raptors and certainly than what we've been used to, he's better than a lot of guards still. As crazy as that sounds, there's not a lot of... Like the, the good defensive guards, we know who they are in the NBA. But as far as Fred... Um, he's fallen off for sure, but he's not bottom of the barrel, I don't think. So he's still valued around the league and can be valued even higher. If he's on a new contract, um, it depends how long it is, but teams will be viewing him as probably a finishing piece if if they're trying to get him. And so I think you can get e- either way, whether whether Fred is good or bad, you're going to get something back for him and that will range anywhere from kind of, you know, a pittance, maybe a late first or something like that. Or maybe he plays really well, plays himself into more value. And maybe that means that the team is better and you keep him. Or maybe that means that you get a lot more return, which is I know what probably a lot of people want. How do you trade from a point of strength when you have three starters as undrafted free agents and Siakam and OG being extension eligible very soon? Great question. I think I kind of touched on it, but basically it relates to the fact that the Raptors won't be in a point of strength until they recalibrate the team under the new contracts, probably near the luxury tax, if not over it. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with Gary Trent Jr. He, I feel the least certain about going into the summer, but the Raptors are probably going to be in the luxury tax. If they aren't, I would suspect that it was Gary Trent Jr. who is not on the team rather than Fred or Jakob. But I, I think that the Raptors, they have to play themselves into a point of strength next season. And whether that's the team being good or whether that's guys playing well on a team that's still underperforming or not doing that well, I think that as far as player value, singular, whether it's Fred, Pascal, OG, or whoever, I think that they have to be able to play themselves into it. And I suspect that the Raptors, maybe it's a busy summer, maybe it's not. They will they will have an opportunity to play themselves into those roles. Of course, blockbusters come along. Um, four for 120 seems like a realistic deal for Fred. I think it it could definitely be in that ballpark. Um, you know, the Raptors they signed Gary to more money than I expected. They signed OG to significantly less money than I expected, and he's been on one of the best contracts in the NBA for some time now. And Fred got less than I expected too. I think. The rumors at the time was Fred was going at the very least north of 90 million, right? That that he could challenge for 100 or 110 million. And he ended up with four years and 84 million. It's been a pretty good contract over that, that time period. He, he had an all-star year. The Raptors, they had good seasons with him at the helm. Um, of course, it's a changing of the guard now. We'll see how that kind of plays out going forward. But four for 120, given the rising cap, given what other guys are getting paid, like Poole, Barrett, Hero, um, Gary, I think Gary lost money with the way the season ended, which is unfortunate for him, but we'll see how both of their, sorry, we'll see how both of their contracts shake out, but I think that's probably a good ballpark. From Adam K, do you think the direction of this roster, or do you think the direction of the roster this offseason plays a huge role in the type of coach they target, development guys like Kenny Atkinson, etc., or do they just go for best available regardless? So we, I was at the presser, we asked Masai about this, and he wasn't forthcoming. Of course, the same way that Nick Nurse 
was jockeying for position in media and behind the scenes prior to being fired. The Raptors obviously have been kind of poking around on coaches. There's a reason that, you know, Houston has been linked to a bunch of coaches and some of them having jobs, right? There's a reason that the Raptors are linked to coaches that 100% uh, they had a coach, but they were linked to coaches. Like people are talking. Ime Adoka is probably the most, um, that's the name you'll hear the most around the Raptors. Do they, and I, it's tough for me to say personally, because I don't, it's tough to gauge the direction of the team. What Masai says when he keeps preaching parody and having good players and all this kind of stuff, I think that he probably wants this team to be a playoff team next year. And especially since they don't have a first round pick, right? I think that, um, I think that, they're probably going to try and get a guy who can command Pascal, Fred, Scotty, OG, Pirtle, th- that glut of players. And I, I doubt, I doubt they go for development, a development guy. Like, you, you, I, I can't name any coaches specifically, but some coaches are known for their ability to kind of impart wisdom on younger players, help them grow their game. And some coaches are more known as guys who can command a locker room and can get the best and kind of squeeze the most water out of the rag that is their team, all that kind of stuff. Would I want Udoka? I'll tell you this much. From my point of view, I think it makes my job specifically uh, harder because there's like a lot of politics around Udoka. There is like some people contend with the idea that some people say he just cheated. Some people say, he cheated and then harassed the woman afterwards. And there is there's a large delineation between the people who cover the sport and the people who are within the sport um, when it comes to Udoka. I don't want to settle on a hard and fast opinion on Udoka until the Raptors decide. Because the Raptors will 100% say like they did their due diligence. They also had Rodion's Kuruks on the team. They also had Terrence Davis on the team. Like the Raptors have had people on the roster, that kind of messages. It's not the most pro-women stance or anything like that. But um, I, I won't take a stance on Udoka until I find out how much access the rap, the Raptors got to, um, kind of how, how everything turned out, right? Like, I, I'm not part of the, what is it, like a, there was a law. It was a bunch of lawyers. A, a law firm looked into it. They decided a few things. I haven't read the briefs, so I can't say that if that seems um, not very satisfying, my apologies. But this stuff is, these are complex things. Like, this is not simple. And that's why, like, I would just lean no Udoka, because as a sports reporter, I don't want to have to dance around, like, all those kind of politics all the time. It's really difficult. That's my selfish point of view. From the Raptors' point of view, man, uh, I really couldn't say. Masai was not forthcoming about what they're looking for. He said the search started after the presser was done. He also said he would go crazy if he had to talk to us every day like Nick did, which is kind of funny. I wouldn't want to talk to me every day either. Uh, feel sorry for the people who do. Do I think w- with the selfish- selfishness and accountability Masai was talking about that Fred was one of the biggest culprits of it? Be honest. I'm always honest, first of all. Um, I think that Fred, well, I covered this actually during the season. I think that Fred's selfishness was overstated, and especially on the court. I'll say that much. I think that the problem with Fred for a lot of this season was that, and I wrote about this, was that Fred was underperforming the aspect of his game that would have allowed for Scotty and Pascal to more harmoniously take on-ball reps. And what that means is that the Raptors, instead of having Fred Van Vliet finished these catch-and-shoot scenarios where the ball ends up in his hands at the end of a possession at 43% like they were last year, which is where Buddy Heald was this year. He finished around 35%, which is closer to Julius Randle. Other teams, whoever, you watching this right now, watching those games, you decide who you want taking an open shot, Buddy Heald or Julius Randle. It was that aspect of Fred's game that made the transition even more difficult. And that wasn't selfishness. That was bad performance. Some of that, I think, was linked to his injury. I And relative to, like, if you want to talk about 
touch time, passes made, shots attempted, all this kind of stuff. Fred does not rank high in the NBA. He ranks among other between all-star and lower than all-star point guards pretty consistently. There's not a statistical aberration. Um, so he's mostly just like a, a shoot first point guard in the NBA. Maybe people don't want that. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. What I did think was selfish of Fred was his open and somewhat antagonistic commentary about the Raptors, the framework of the Raptors offense in the first half of the season. And I think most starkly we can look at what happened with um, what happened with his commentary on JJ Reddick's podcast. And also when I was at media day this year and getting introduced to everybody, I asked Fred about this specifically. I said, you are like a really great shooter. You're a great screener. You do all these things. You seem like you would fit perfectly next to an offense that wants to promote wing ball handlers. He pushed back. He said, I'm just a basketball player. I don't, I don't worry about any of that. This is, this is kind of my game. Um, I'll play. However, later on in the season, it was not, I'll play. However, it was, I'm being put in tough spots. It was, I'm being, you know, the team is asking me to do this. I'm not sure about the framework. I'm not sure about how we do things that I thought was selfish. I thought that the way he discussed it in the media lacked tact. I think that it also was him kind of prepping for free agency. Now, whether like Pirtle came along and it made Fred's offense significantly better. And truthfully, Fred had a really strong finish to the season. Good for him. He is going to make more money now because Pirtle like came onto the team. Pirtle is also going to make more money. What didn't happen though, is the Raptors making the playoffs, which I mean, that's really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, the, the, the selfishness one is like multivariate and complex, but I think it has been overblown by fans. Um, and if, if people also want to say that, like the media as a whole has been kind of softer on Fred, I think the media as a whole has been, I think that there's lots of journalists and lots of writers who specifically have not been, have had a good view, have been too harsh, have been light. But I think that on the aggregate, I think the media has given Fred um, a pretty good time. And especially since like some of his commentary was a little bit um, like antagonistic towards the team. But I don't think that's a referendum on him as a person. Uh, did Otto Porter come up? This is a quick one. Yes, he came up. They said that Otto Porter is part of next year's team. From Nick Kwan. Samson, you mentioned earlier, Fred's role is too big for a team trying to be good. What about Siakam? I feel like he's been miscast as a number one guy when he's at best a number two. This is one of the easiest things to observe in the NBA for certain is whether a guy is a number one. Because who wins NBA championships? Who wins finals MVPs? Hall of Famers. And not only Hall of Famers, like the inner circle of trust Hall of Famers. Um, if you want to win a championship, your number one guy has to be close to generational. Siakam isn't generational, but I don't worry so much about him being miscast as a number one when before he becomes a number two, if he's going to be a Raptor, you have to get somebody better than him on the team. You know, it's... And so him getting these extra reps with all this extra attention... That's more or less fine, in my opinion, right? Uh, obviously, the Raptors as a team are not succeeding as much as if, if Siakam was a better version of himself or if perhaps you swapped Siakam with one of the eight best players in the NBA or something, they're going to be a better team. But that guy isn't on the team. Siakam is a guy who cuts off ball. We've seen he had a tough defensive year this season. We've seen in the past when he didn't have such a high offensive load that he was 100% able to play really high-level defense. And when he has just set corner shots, um, he can shoot pretty well from three. So I think that he is a number two, probably. But how many teams have a number one? You don't even get a number one. Sometimes you go three draft classes without a true number one guy being drafted. Sometimes, you know, the league, maybe, maybe there's like seven or eight of them now. But you're going to have people from all walks of life saying that Embiid doesn't have the juice. Jokic doesn't have the juice. All these, when Giannis was very clearly a number one, 
people still said he wasn't one. So it's it's really t- it's the hardest thing to be in basketball. Um, Siakam probably isn't. That's fine because he can play next to whoever comes in. Or if the Raptors, like the podcast I did with Michael Grange, and he suggested the Raptors add more talent to the back end of the roster, more depth by trading Siakam. Who knows if they choose? Um, who knows if they choose that? Um, there's a question Giovanni asks: Is the selfish point guard back? Um, I've been talking about that in the first like 15 minutes of the podcast, or if this live stream, whatever. Um, feel free to um, feel free to go back and watch that. I don't want to just repeat everything, but thank you for the question. Uh, okay, what did I think about Masai's answers about Scotty's progress? I wanted to ask that specifically. He only answered that. That was my question, by the way. I he didn't answer the team development aspect because I didn't want it to be solely focused on Scotty because that's what the rumors have been, right? The rumors have been that Scotty's work ethic has been lacking, that he didn't take the summer seriously enough. And I wanted Masai to answer that because there's been reports about him specifically meeting with Scotty. But also on top of that, uh, I wanted to know, what is the organization doing? Do you guys think you've handled Scotty's development properly. Everybody's talking about a team that just had a bad year where the culture is kind of eroded. A bunch of things are going wrong. And I wanted kind of the consideration of, well, you have a young, hopefully up and coming star. Has he been affected? Has his growth been affected? What do you guys think? Masai didn't answer that aspect. He talked about Scotty having a difficult time adjusting to changes. And he also said that, he expected there to be adjustments in this upcoming summer. So I guess we'll see. I'm kind of waiting on that, but I didn't I didn't get the full answer that I was looking for from, from Masai. Of course, he doesn't owe me anything. Um, Professor Solo, FVB averaged 39% from the field, 33% from three after the Pirtle trade. Did you really play that much better or did it simply become a more FVB-led offense? Well, the offense started performing better from an offensive rating standpoint, right? And the Raptors were a more robust pick and roll team. And they also like 100% uh, Jakob Pertl was scoring more for the Raptors and they were getting better looks out of a lot of their offensive sets. Um, 39% from the field, 33% from three. It's nothing to write home about, but I tell you this much, the offense was in a better place because they were getting a lot more traditional reads out of the pick and roll. OG in particular, as a play finisher, benefited a lot from that structure. Um, I think that a lot of people did. And, uh, you know, talking about Scotty, I think Scotty did a, like a really fantastic job being put in a tough position of adjusting to the hierarchies changing in the offense throughout the season. He's such a, he's like a really, his feel for the game is tremendous. I do think uh, Fred played better. He also played better on defense too, because with Jakob Pertl playing in typically, you know, like a, a high drop or at the level, it meant that um, more dribble penetration was contained and that Fred didn't have to cover as much ground. And it also made him, because his strength is not his foot speed anymore. It's not being sticky at the point of attack. It's making timely rotations and having good hands for digs. And he had more opportunities to do that instead of just trying to keep guys out of the paint. This is also something Michael Grange brought up that when you talk to assistant coaches of other teams, when they were describing the Raptors' defensive system, they would just say, you beat one guy, it's over, because they're going to rotate so much. You're going to find an easy shot. Having Pirtle back there meant that, you know, and maybe maybe all the credit goes to Pirtle instead of Fred, but I thought that Fred was a better rotational defender since he arrived. So I, I, I do think he was better, but 39% from the field, that's not good. Typically, with Fred, you want to use true shooting because his free throw percentage and his three-point percentage We'll kind of bump that up. And true shooting is, I think, as an industry standard, both in the NBA and the people who cover it, much better to use than field goal percentage. But in this case, as you bring up 33% from three, you're not bumping those numbers up. Um, he needs to shoot better. And if he's in a paired back role, which I think eventually he needs to be, um, hopefully he can get a more idealized shot chart for himself. Um, but he did, he did have a, a strange season for sure. But I do think he was better. What do I think of the candidates thrown out by Shams out there today? Patrick Matumbo, Stack, Udoka, uh, Yazakavius didn't sign his extension in Spain today. Hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not the best person to talk about coaches specifically. Man, uh, I'm gonna have Blake Murphy on the podcast at some time this summer, 
And he had like really great relationships with the 905 guys like Matumbo and Stack. I don't know when the Raptors plan on fulfilling the head coaching position. Masai did say that he wanted to before the before the draft. But it, what I get is that Stack is really well liked and respected. Matumbo really well liked and respected. I think most people just on name recognition would think like Stackhouse, Stackhouse, Stackhouse. He was just a massive part of the 905, right? Um, I TBD. I'm trying to give as, the best answers I can to everybody who asks, but that one, I don't think I'm well-equipped. I will 100% ask Blake when he's on because he had relationships with these guys and he was like the best covering the 905 when he was working that and those guys were there. So um, I'll ask him about that, I promise. Is it possible that there may be a big trade on the horizon, maybe sign in trades with FEB, GTJ, or possible Siaka move? Anything is possible, 100%. If, you know, the Raptors, we may very well see them go into a crazy direction for whatever's happening, it, you know, this summer. It wouldn't surprise me at all. It's, um, it's a difficult thing, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. As far as, like, me being sourced and hearing anything, I got nothing. I was hearing stuff around the trade deadline. I heard, you know, I heard that the three first round pick trade that was for OG, that was from New York for what it's worth. That was that was the rumor. Um, but as far as hearing anything lately, I haven't heard anything. Um, Tom Duke, great season for you, Samson. Is Nick the first of many changes? Do you see a proven coach coming in? I've been talking about that, but thank you for the compliment. Um, yeah. Okay. Spencer Bell. Hey, Samson, the Golden State Warriors also really struggled with the winning while developing goal this past season. Do you think Nurse gets overly criticized in also trying to achieve this goal? I think that Nurse got criticized for some of the gameplay. And this is and this is my opinion now that he didn't deserve necessarily. And I've been critiquing Nick's schematics play style well earlier before like a lot earlier than it became, I guess, popular. But I think that Nick, a lot more of the stuff was interpersonal. And that affected his ability to get the most out of a roster. And I think that interpersonal stuff is more so the reason. I know Masai said, you know, like the back end of the roster, I asked him about how the drafts have been going lately. He didn't really answer that either. Um, I think that Nick was probably overly criticized specifically about guys developing, but I think that as far as getting the most out of the team, the interpersonal stuff did start to lag behind and did go sideways a little bit. Um, from Kieran Day, during the presser, not many questions came up about how to add three-point shooting or how to fix the three-point shooting. What do you think the path forward is to answer the shooting woes? I wrote a big piece about this, about the Raptors, um, three-point shooting. You can go to raptorsrepublic.com and read it. Um, there's no paywall on that piece. But William Liu also asked about that. It was one of the last questions of the press conference. And he also, Masai said, sometimes you can teach and develop three-point shooting. Sometimes you just have to draft shooters. I hope that the Raptors prioritize shooting a little bit more as the years go along because I think that they left it behind um, over the past little while. Okay, from Giovanni again, with Scotty Barnes, his role changed, so he was adjusting. He wasn't just driving to the basket this year, or he would have put up the same or better stats. I think that Scotty had a better year this year than last year. I think that there's a reason I have that piece where I rewatched every pass he made and broke it down into like nine different types of passing to make the case that while the assist numbers aren't that high, he's one of the best passers in the NBA. Um, it, it took a lot of work, but it was worth it because Scotty is a really special passer. And as a connector, some of that really thrives. And as far as being prioritized in a role, especially as a guy on ball to create, this might not be a popular answer, but there's a reason why Scotty is so prone to runs during a game in the fourth quarter. He'll feel out the game as it's happening. Right. And then he'll find where his gaps to punch are. He'll find where his driving lanes are, but it's typically relying on the defense bending to somebody else. He doesn't have the handle or the shooting to manipulate at the point of attack 
to shift defenses a whole bunch and to regularly beat his own guy off the bounce and then take the help side defense into account and make plays from there. That's really advanced stuff. Like Pascal's better at that now than Scotty is, but Pascal is like eight years older than Scotty is. Scotty has years and years to try and become this. And the games where they just kind of handed Scotty the keys where Pascal wasn't on the floor, like he was injured, those didn't go that well because Scotty is not like a wholly dominant offensive force. Hopefully he becomes one. But I think that Scotty was not prioritized as much as maybe he should have been. But I also think that he's not ready to just be given like everything, a whole bunch of possessions to become some sort of heliocentric force. From Cujo, broadly, where are we? The Raptors is a team slash organization at with Vision 6-9. What do I think about our roster construction moving forward? I think Vision 6-9 is dead, man. And I've been praying for this. I Masai talked about this at the presser saying everybody asked us to get a center. He said it was hard to find one. He also said they're interested in players under 6'9", guards. He also said it's hard to find good guards. So the Raptors, they made a bet on developing shooting over the past few years that didn't really bear fruit. They also had expectations that their defense and the way they play defense could be transformed by shrinking the floor with length and not really relying on one rim protector, but a term called democratic rim protection, where whoever the low man is on both the low man on the weak side and the person who's in closest proximity to the rim, they'll be able to step over and contest at the rim. Precious Achua, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Nobi, Chris Boucher. They found success with that in last season. Teams kind of got wise to what they were doing, though, and they... um. They, they adjusted. So it wasn't really tenable. And I think that's still a big center in drop defense who makes a team, you know, hit mid-range jumpers and allows lock and trail pick and roll defenders to kind of badger guys from behind. That's the easiest way to guarantee having a good defense in the NBA. Now, when it comes to superstars making those mid-range shots in the NBA finals or something like that, maybe you have to get a little bit more creative. Maybe, like the Raptors did when they had Marcus Gasol, you stop playing drop, you start, it, it was crazy, but Marcus Gasol in the finals, they started playing blitz, blitz coverages on Steph Curry, and Marcus Gasol's hands and feet were quick enough for them to blow up some actions and to put them in uncomfortable positions, and you have to hope that your big man can do that at some point in time. The good news, I think, is that Jakob, as far as defensive big men go, he gives you the best of both worlds without being a defensive player of the year nominee. I think that Jakob is a guy who can rotate and be the low man. And I think that um, he's also a guy who can play some of the more aggressive schemes. Um, from Solja T1, of course, Scotty has been affected. All these players that were playing for a contract. Um, yeah, yeah. Scotty took plays off, but so did those guys. I, there was, everybody was taking plays off, certainly. There was a lot of stuff going on with this team. Like with, without a doubt, this, this team had, there's, there's a reason why everybody was kind of confused um, about why this team was underperforming. And when a team is underperforming, you look at a couple of things, you look at effort and it's really hard to quantify. It's like a black box. It's opaque. It's like, how do you really determine effort? You look at miles traveled where, all the Raptors all rank really high because they play like these massive amounts of minutes. They cover ground on the floor. They switch a lot. There's these long closeouts and rotations. I mean, that's tough to look at. But yeah, um, GP Production says, do you feel like Malachi Flynn's time as a Raptor is coming to an end and that Doughton being around phases Mal out or will he flourish under a different coach? Malachi Flynn is guaranteed for next season. The Raptors did this back in October. So... I, I think it's like four between four and five million is on the books for Malachi next season, if I remember correctly. Um, the Raptors just cut, I think, nine million dollars in dead weight they have to pay for um, in Nick Nurse's contract. I don't know if they would cut four or five million just off the top with Malachi. I think Malachi probably gets a chance after an offseason to try and get minutes to break in as, you know, a third or fourth guard next season um i like doubting better to close the season though 
Um, I like Delton when I went to cover a 905 game and he played against Scoot. I thought that his defense was awesome. I thought that Delton was really great guarding at the NBA level. When I talked to Eric Curry, um, you know, the 905 coach, he said that Delton is probably the best point of attack de- defender in the organization. That wasn't him riding for his guy. I think that Delton was, as far as sticking guy at the point of attack, he was the best that the Raptors and the Raptors 905 had. Um, yeah, so I hope that Delton's part of it. The Raptors, despite not get you know converting his two-way, I think that um, they still have an opportunity to give him a contract in the summer. We'll see how that looks. But um, okay, here's here's one. Samson, if I may, the intro music on your podcast is so freaking loud, man. Um, Blast my ears out every time. I will adjust that. Um, And my apologies to anybody else who that bothers. I haven't had that feedback, so um, I'll take that into consideration. Thanks for listening, though. I'm just glad you listened and you put up with, apparently, the really loud intro. Um, From Savage, yeah, can't stand his own in the post. Mark would not get worked by Fucevic in an elimination game. That's true. Um, I talked to Steph No about that he's he works he he covered the bulls for the athletic and we talked about that he didn't expect vooch to have his way in the post in fact the the bulls run a lot of cross screening actions he expected them to do that to get vucevic on siakam in the post um i it surprised me that vooch found so much success against Jakob. maybe it was one game uh where it looked that bad but also i think that Jakob certainly isn't marcus all um nobody's nobody's saying that for sure um from uh nick kwan i can't believe masai thought uh said that the front office thought will barton would be more productive than jeff delton i mean they what you're betting on next to a lot of different guys who handle the ball og wants the ball pascal wants the ball scotty wants the ball fred wants the ball they run a ton of actions like they run a ton of their flex screen actions that gets them layups and dunks with purtle holding the ball as the trigger man they they do a lot of stuff with those guys. If they wanted a guy who has a proven track record as a shooter, Will Barton, to just come in and, and sling it, that's what they probably expected. Although they did not get it. And I definitely was a proponent of playing Delton Moore uh, at the end of the season, although that didn't really happen. Um, yeah, uh, gr- very glad you enjoy the podcast. From Sonny, quote, do you have any specific scheme slash rotation changes defensively or offensively that you'd like to see with the new coaching? Loved your stuff this season. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm really glad you did. Uh, I think that a lot of the defensive schematic changes actually came this season. They started to play more conservative. They stopped allowing as many corner threes. I think people probably noticed like, hmm, Twitter isn't complaining about the corner threes as often anymore. And it's because they had Pirtle. And Pearl meant that they don't have to hang guys over and they don't have to sit in driving lanes and they don't have to play as aggressively. I think that, and they were fourth in defensive rating since the, since all-star weekend or the trade deadline. I can't remember which one at this point in time. I think that their defense, aside from just not competing in like those Boston games and just down the stretch against the Bulls, right? I think that the Raptors, they found a defense that works for the most part and if the coach that comes in can get significant buy-in from the players, I think that the Raptors can have a probably like top eight defense next season. I think that that's possible. Um, the schematics of the offense, this is where the Raptors very clearly need movement shooting. And I don't want to pick on Pascal, but Scotty is younger. Scotty is not paid as much. Scotty doesn't, Scotty has all the expectations in the world, but they don't start next season. If you're going to have Jakob, Pascal, Scotty, somebody's got to shoot that thing. Even, even if Fred returns to a guy who shoots 40 plus percent on his catch and shoot threes, even if Gary Trent Jr. comes back, even if OG, all those guys shoot like north of 38, 39% on the season. If it's Scotty, Pascal, and Jakob, it's still going to be tight on spacing their offensive, like their half court rating is still going to be bottom 10 in the league. Pascal has to probably go north of like 34, 35% on his above the break threes. And I mean, this guy, he has to shoot well from the corners too. You can tell in possessions when the ball rests in one of Pascal or Scotty's hands, when you're like, if that was another guy, that shot goes up and that's a good look. 
the ball can't come to rest and reset the offense when they've already gained an advantage. And Pascal is so good at so many other things. I don't like I don't want to pick on him too much, but if the Raptors do want to be a team that takes a step forward next year and they actually want to make this front court work because it's a, it's probably it's your three biggest guys on the floor between Jakob, Pascal and Scotty. There's no three better passers in the NBA. They can get really creative with that. But man, uh, Pascal has to shoot it. And I think it's easier to get Pascal to shoot well on catch and shoot jumpers than it is Scotty. Scotty will grow. I mean, Pascal at Scotty's age now was just entering the NBA, right? And he certainly didn't shoot the ball well. He was one of the most, he had like some of the highest volume uh, from the mid range at New Mexico State, which was something that not a lot of people talked about in college. And it's translated to a pretty good mid range shot now. But yeah, I think that Pascal shooting well on catch and shoot threes, he's got to be in the gym, man. And maybe it's not fair to put it on him. But if that front court situation is going to work, Pascal's got to hit threes because Scotty can't just obliterate the development curve. And Jakob certainly isn't getting there. Um, yeah. Um, the selfishness question again, Fred and Gary in contract years, Pascal hunting all NBA. Um, don't recall a lot of overly selfish play this season. I think that the Raptors quietly played what a lot of people think was like selfish basketball last season. This is like Pascal led the NBA in isolations in 2021-22. Luca had 799. Pascal had 803. OG had a bunch of isolated post-ups. Scotty's best way of scoring last year was on these bully drives out of isolations. Like having those wings who dominate based on mismatches is going to grind your offense to a halt. It really is. And it's going to look selfish, even if it's not inherently selfish. I think that honestly, if we're talking about, man, if we're talking about selfishness on the team, I think a lot of it would have had to be spoken about behind closed doors and then kind of comes out to the public. Cause as far as the offensive process, this was um, <laughs> this was a team that definitely did not change a bunch from the season prior. They were a bad half-court offense in 2021-22. They played a ton of isolation basketball in 2021-22. And this season, believe it or not, I think they ended up with a better offensive rating. As crazy as that sounds, right? It's um it's tough to it's tough to navigate all that stuff. But I think it's a lot of the selfishness. Would, would that was talked about is coming from conversations that we're not really privy to and then leaking out into media. But I talked about this at the top of the podcast or live show, whatever this is, that when we're looking at Fred, a lot of the selfishness was that he was talking about his role and being disappointed with it openly in media. And I think that set some of the conversations in motion. From Eric Brandt, as good as Jakob was, do you think having that pick not convey this year, thus looming over future trades, will hurt whatever path Masai chooses? Hmm. First of all, Eric, great. He he covers the Trailblazers. Fantastic at what he does. I think that the Raptors are comfortable with the situation they have for themselves. I think that most of what's looming over this team is what, what contracts they sign these guys to. Um, but I think... Messiah is happy with this choice. Um, he seems, you know, he said it at the trade deadline. He said it now at the presser, and he's been pretty consistent that he thinks this team is better than this. He thinks that the NBA isn't really top heavy, and he likes Jakob a lot. So, and, and he also mentioned that he doesn't think that um, he doesn't think that the 2024 draft looks that good. Also, know a lot of scouts who don't think it looks that good. So. Um, maybe that's kind of where he sits on this one, but, um, yeah, Ron Mexico, where do I think nurse goes? What team would be a good fit? I think he goes to Houston. Um, I guess we'll see what happens with that, but I do think he goes to Houston. Samson, are you going to apply for the coaching job? It's funny. I didn't realize, but the live stream, uh, was a hot mic on the reporters for the, like the first 10 minutes of the, the stream, at least the global news version of it or whatever. And you can actually see me walk up to, Josh, who's part of Raptors PR and jokingly say, nobody reached out to me about the coaching job. Um, but in all honesty, I have no like nowhere near 
the qualifications to coach um, an NBA team. I, I might get some things right that they don't, but that's luck. The same way a fan, the same way anybody, an analyst can say, I like this guy, I think he'll turn out good. Um, and maybe there's a coach who knows everything there is to know about basketball and they say, and they saw something, they don't like it. Um, you can be right and wrong without having the good reasoning. You can be right and wrong with an information deficit. Uh, as much as I talk about basketball and I know quite a bit about it, I certainly don't know enough to coach an NBA team at all. I know coaches who coach at the high school level um, in the States, for example. I know coaches who do all type like college NBA, high school, all of them know way more than I do. They just do it in a different discipline. But um, those guys, they they know so much. Pro scouts know so much. Everybody who's working in the NBA, you a lot of them know a lot of stuff if they're working specifically around the team strategy and picking up on what other teams do. You talk basketball with those people, you'll be very, very, like you'll learn a lot. Um, from Timber Timber, if Masai runs it back with Ime, I'm going to be pissed. I talked about this earlier. I think that a lot of people will be. The Raptors, they have to prove that running it back is a fruitful endeavor. That shouldn't be the baseline, right? Like, it, it definitely, this is a case where the Raptors, if you run it back, the team you're bringing back just lost the 9-10 in the play-in, and they may very well be a luxury tax team. Under no circumstance is that good enough. So it's it's okay to be pissed if they do. And in fact, it's like they have to start 10 and 5 and then be 20 and 13 and then be like progressively have a pretty good team. And they have to convince people with their play and their record that, okay, I'm glad they ran it back. And then they can make decisions. But the baseline for people should be that this team underperformed. We have to see them overperform or meet expectations before you switch. And you're 100%, you know, if you want to be pissed at that, it's their job to convince you. It's their job to win. It's You don't have to be patient as a fan. You don't have to do anything, you know. Um, from Arjun Shoker, or Arjun, sorry, I'm pronouncing this probably wrong. My apologies. Hey, Samson, do you think the bench is actually as bad as a lot of people believe? I'm of the belief that the bench guys haven't been given the chance to form continuity. Hmm. I think that it's not as bad as just like these guys never score, which has been the case. I mean, for two years now, bench players more than anybody need structure to thrive. They need to be able to work off of the starters. They need to know they need to be, have dependable plays. They need to be able to do all this kind of stuff. The Raptors don't really do that. There's not a lot of structure to what they do. There's not a lot of consistency to what they do. But asking bench players to create from a standstill is just not going to work. If if you can create from a standstill against NBA teams, you, you're going to be a starter or you're extremely bad on defense and that's why you're on the bench. And the Raptors don't have either of those guys. Like Malachi Flynn can't create from a standstill, but he had a stretch where he was shooting, you know, like 40% from three and he wasn't good enough on defense and was getting picked on and he couldn't justify it. But I think that, the bench certainly isn't as bad offensively as people think. But I don't think that there's the next superstar. I, well, that's too... I, I don't think that there's a ton of good role players on the bench right now. But I think that Chris Boucher is an objectively good bench player. Gary, this guy is going to try and get $25 million a year. That If you're getting $25 million a year, you better be a good bench player, you know? And he's currently a bench player. He had a tough finish to the season. We'll see. but. Um, the Raptors and Otto Porter Jr., who apparently, you know, should be back for next season. Tough year for him. Tough year for the Raptors to sign him. Um, I guess, yeah, we'll see. The Raptors should have a decent bench next year. It'll be up to the coach to make sure that these guys know their roles and can thrive within them. Roles are really important for bench players. Like, the less, the more talent you have, we see this with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant could go anywhere. Pop him into a game. He came in for eight minutes in the NBA Finals against the Raptors. Scored like 12 points, just bam, 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 bam. And the, the Warriors didn't know how to play with him at all. He just came in and did like superhero stuff. Kawhi for a lot of the regular season with the Raptors. 
there was the Kyle Lowry offense, and Kyle's a genius. He ran beautiful offense. And then there was the Kawhi offense. They were segmented. Kawhi would just step on the floor, and when the ball reached Kawhi's hands, he'd score the ball. The more talent you have, the easier it is, the less structure you need, certainly. The Raptors need structure. And the less talent you have, and these guys are all talented, but relative to the other players in the NBA, you need structure. You need this screen right here. You need to come downhill off the pick and roll. The guy over there needs to be setting a pin-in screen so that you can get an open three. Everything has to be operating in concert and in you and like with utility and with intention. Because if that guy doesn't set the pin-in screen correctly, you don't get an open three. You're a guy, Malachi Flynn now, for example, who you're just sitting face-to-face with the defender. Can you create from a standstill? Kawhi Leonard can. A lot of great players can. But you needed that pin-in screen. You needed that help from your teammate you know, having that structure, that's what the Raptors lacked. And not only, you know, the bench players, but the 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 highly paid players on the Raptors, the, the young stars on the Raptors, everybody was going through the motions when they weren't involved on ball. That's that's the tough aspect of it, certainly. Um, <laughs> we drew straws, you won. You get to drive Nick Nurse to the airport in 90 minutes. I don't even have a car, dude. Um, <laughs> I had to take an Uber to get back here. I, I, had, I was on CBC. And I had to take an Uber to get back in time. It was quite a... Rexdale is not that close to the OVO Center. Um, from Max Cali, John Mamalela has been a part of building the winning culture of Toronto and was a good G League for the 905. We need to get him back from Golden State Warriors. Hey, man. I like Jama a lot. The people here like Jama a lot. People around the league like Jama a lot. I don't know if he's getting a head coaching job in the NBA soon. I don't know what happens with the Raptors and who they plan on bringing in. I want that guy to win at whatever, whatever he is doing. He's, he's really great. Um, from Matt Hogg, credit to Grange for asking the hard but obvious questions today. Yeah, Grange pushed back on Nick when Nick was being untruth, less than truthful about his comments because Nick made it seem like he was being badgered with commentary about his coaching position. And that's why he talked about it so openly before the Philly game. That wasn't true. And Nick made it seem like it was, and it was pretty rude to Lindsay Dunn who had asked him a question about it. It was the second time he'd been asked. And so Grange gave significant pushback on Nick there. Um, Also Grange was giving uh, Messiah a bit of pushback today as well. That's it. Certainly I don't have the rapport when, when everybody is there, right, when all the reporters are there and Messiah is doing the in-between time and when we're at media day this year and everyone arrives for the breakfast before everyone starts talking and everyone's shaking hands and kissing babies and doing all that kind of stuff, Masai is talking to, like, Grange. Masai is talking to, like, Bruce Arthur, who happens to be there, the, the established legacy guys. So it's harder for me to just look Masai in the eye and demand accountability because he's not going to give it the same amount of time hopefully one day but um grange there's a little bit more um gravitas there's a little bit more cachet there so i'm glad that he was able to do that um the winning culture of the raptors was due to lowry from ron and ron and dan one lowry underrated now underrated then here and abroad he was so good he made so many things work um yeah he he was awesome i I could talk about him until the cows come home gp productions quote what are the main things you want the raptors to address in the draft and do you think the raptors should acquire more picks this year to flesh out the bench okay i think that i want the raptors i i'm i'll have a lot of draft content coming up and um of course uh we're going to talk about specific players um i typically talk to scouts about this kind of stuff. They give great insight. Um, That'll be good coming up. But as far as who I want them to target, I don't have anyone particular, but I do want a guard. I want them to try and get a good guard in the lottery. I think that's what I want more than anything. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I sit on that. Should they get more, acquire more picks this year to flesh out the bench? I think that the bench could be okay this season. I, I really do. And I think that's, this year's pick will be part of a bench that whether it's Gary, Otto, Chris, Precious pick or 
auto precious Chris pick, whatever that looks like. I think that the bench should be in an okay place and we'll see what happens with Coloco, for example, who could be one year better, but the Raptors hopefully will be in a position where their bench doesn't look so bad. The, 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 the Raptors should be good next year. The thing that's difficult is that they're not a contender, but they will be in the luxury tax. That's the disconnect for sure. Um, from or from Cujo, where do we find leadership on the court, whether internally or on the market? I think a lot of this is going to come from the coach and how the players respond to the coach. And that, for me, as a person to answer that, is a complete unknown quantity right now. My apologies. But that's like a really good question. A lot of the best questions don't have easy answers, especially for someone like me. But that is a really good question. From Jonathan, thoughts on how to approach Banton's development next year. I feel the 905 reps aren't helpful for him anymore. He's not learning how to succeed as a low usage guy there, which he'll be in the NBA. Good question, Jonathan. Um, I think that Banton is in swing skill territory. Banton, hey, Buffkin, by the way. Yep, Kobe Buffkin. A lot, of, a lot of guys I know are very interested in him who do it professionally and who are just fans who watch college. But sorry, back to your question, Jonathan. I think that um, Delano Banton is in swing skill territory, which of course means that he needs to develop a skill shooting that will allow the rest of his current tools and talents to flourish a lot more. And I think that Banton makes good progressive reads. I think that he attacks closeouts with good footwork. He makes quick decisions with the ball, but quick decisions don't mean as much when the defense doesn't care about coming out to contest your closeouts. And also like Banton is sneakily really talented as a finisher. Um, So he needs to shoot. Some guys can get in the gym and they can shoot and they can learn to shoot. Norm Powell, my God, he developed himself into a tremendous shooter. Some guys, they go into the gym, they shoot all the time. They, and then they, Justin Champagne, 300 shots every day. That's what he said. Then he went to the G League and he shot 40% on high volume. And they went to the NBA and it just wasn't clicking. Some guys it happens, some guys it doesn't. I suspect Banton is working harder than ever on that jumper. If he gets a jumper, and particularly like a set shot or being able to put the drop dribble down and move and relocate, I think he's an NBA player. I think he starts getting extra contracts. But if he doesn't, I struggle to see where he will succeed in the NBA. As much as he's interesting, he's I'm in Rexdale right now, man. You know, that's that's his that's his spot. It's it's just tough. I think I'm gonna call it there though. My voice is getting a little bit dry, you know. I've been talking like for 57 minutes straight. Um, thank you to everybody who kind of jumped in. I hope I did a decent job answering all the questions. Thank you to everybody who did answer these questions. This is the first time I've ever done this. Um, so uh oh, here's actually I'll answer this quick. Unrelated, but how does one apply to write draft content for RR? Lewis Zatzman, lewis.zatzman at gmail.com. Raptors Republic wants to support writers. Of course we do. When you look at Media Day, when you look at the press room, even today, right? There's like 10 Raptors Republic alumni in that room. And this is what we want to do. We want to support people who are writing. And so lewis.zatzman at gmail.com. Lewis is a tremendous editor. He will read it if you like if you write it, he'll give you advice. Very well, you might end up writing like getting something published on Raptors Republic. And um, it's a great way to learn about writing and all this kind of stuff. So um yeah, man, it's uh just Lewis.zatsman at gmail.com. And um if you want me to look over it before it goes to Lewis, um, you can samsonfolk at gmail.com. This goes out to anybody. Uh you want to write for RaptorsRepublic.com? You want to make video content for RaptorsRepublic.com? You want to do anything? Um, just try. Reach out. And if even if we don't think it makes the site that time, that happened to me, man. I wrote a DeLon Wright piece way back in the day, and I gave it to Blake Murphy. You know what Blake Murphy said? He said, get out of here, kid. Not actually. He, he helped edit the piece. He told me where it could get better. And now I do this job as a living. And... It's our job, my job, Lewis's job, Raptors Republic jobs to take that kind of stuff. So email Lewis um, or you can message me on Twitter or samsonfolk at gmail.com. I'm happy to look at anything, man. Um, Yeah, to everybody listening, uh, everybody watching, thank you for tuning in. I hope this was all right. I hope this was okay. 
Uh, for people who are listening afterwards on the podcast channel, thanks for tuning in. And remember, nobody has to do this. If you just like the, the video content and the podcast content, great. But I think that my written content is my best work. That is behind the paywall at raptorsrepublic.com. If you subscribe to raptorsrepublic.com, you help support independent media as that becomes significantly more important. And also, you help support the writers. And Raptors Republic, relative to other blogs, I think pays significantly better. It's part of what we want to do to be able to give people an opportunity in the industry. So, yes, thank you to everybody for asking questions. I've gone long on this. Um, yeah, it's been awesome talking to you guys. Uh, thank you very much. I'll probably do some more of this this summer. I guess we'll see what happens. Lots to come. Much love. Okay, I'll see you.